Crawlers, we have an incredible opportunity to do some good. In celebration of the 40th anniversary of Kroll, we are holding the Krolltimate charity event. On July 29th, we will be gathering at the Jordan Commons Megaplex in Sandy to gawk at some collectibles, watch the film as a community, and raise some much-needed funds for Primary Children's Hospital in Utah. For more details, keep an eye on our socials or visit DungeonCrawlersRadio.com. This is Daniel. This is Krebs. This is Alton. This is Matai, the other Krebs. And you're listening to the greatest geek podcast out there, Dungeon Crawlers Radio. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of Dungeon Crawlers Radio, where, as you can tell, you can hear probably some background noise. Maybe It may be faint. It may be louder than we would like, but it's there. Because are we on site? We are on site. Wow. Yeah, there, there's some people that are milling around, and we've, we've done some amazing things. Uh, so, first off, we are going to be talking about the new video game, Jedi Survivor. Yes. We're going to be giving you our thoughts and opinions on that. But more importantly, because, yes, we're on site, we're live, we are at uh, Gaming Con. Utah Gaming Con. Yeah, Utah Gaming Con here in Sandy, Utah. Uh, it's been really fun. We've been very busy. Uh, Krebs and I have been giant geek crack dealers all day. <laughs> it's been true. Uh, but you've been phenomenal giant crack dealers. Yes, Geek yes. crack dealers. We really ought to be careful about using that. We are on the air. Yes, yes. <laughs> but uh, but uh, more importantly, we've been here uh, all day helping to support our, our friend uh, and brother, Alton, uh, mm-hmm. raise some money for a very important charity. So, you know, yeah. we'll have you talk about that real quick before we dive in. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, so... Um, uh, for about the last month and through the end of June, I've been raising money for the Children's Safe Haven Project, um, which is uh, being co-sponsored or, or backed by uh, Operation Underground Railroad, the International Network of Hearts, and the Crone Breakthrough Foundation. Um, essentially, there are kids that are trafficked every day. Yeah. It's a huge, huge, yeah. huge problem. And especially in cases where they're coming from Central and South American countries, you know, they have an issue where they don't speak English. Yes. And they are very, very far from home. And now they've been deeply abused and they need a lot of help. So they've established a number of safe houses in various places to keep these kids safe. But when you're stockpiling dozens of children in oh, one yeah. place, it can potentially lead to some concerns. Because yes. they yeah. need schooling, they need medical care, and nobody just shows up to the grocery store and buys, you know, hundreds of boxes of diapers at a time. Yes. So, uh, one of those safe houses was beginning to become compromised. And uh, they started this project to be able to build a brand new safe house. Um, Crone Breakthrough Foundation has purchased land and are breaking ground to be able to build a compound where there's on-site medical care, there's on-site schooling, they're doing everything that they can to make sure that it is a secure, isolated location so that these kids have a chance to heal and grow and ultimately reintegrate into society. Um, So they'd already committed the money to do that, but they invited people to raise money to help the kids and do everything that they can to to offset the cost of the project. So uh, we committed to raise 10 grand, and I do have some good news for you, gentlemen. Oh, yes. With our sales today, uh, we were able to not only meet that goal, but exceed it. Oh, heck um, yes. I, I haven't been able to... 
tabulate the cash sales from today and everything needs to be deposited and then ultimately sent off to the foundation. Um, but we should be in excess uh, or pretty close to 11 grand when everything is said nice. and done so far. We're still raising money through the end of the month. So if you want to contribute to this, it is a 501c3 organization. It is tax deductible. You can get all of the benefits and do something awesome. And also for those dungeon crawlers who have been contributing already and helping us and encouraging us along the way, thank you so much. This has been a phenomenal thing, and uh, it matters a lot. Yeah. So, um, And if this isn't necessarily your cup of tea, but you do want to support us in some other way, we have another charity event that's going to be coming up. You can support Primary Children's uh, Hospital Medical Center. Um, we are doing something pretty interesting. So I have a very important question to ask. Uh, Krebs, can I ask you a question? Oh, yes, please. Would yeah, you it's going to be really quick. Just answer it off the top of your head. Oh, okay. Um, how do you feel about the 1983 cult classic Kroll? Oh, that is a fantabulous question. You know what? For the sake of time, I will say uh, it's obvious how much I love this movie. And it's also <laughs> ridiculous how much I love if this movie. If you haven't listened to every episode and every lightning round for the last two years. <laughs> I love you, Elton. You're very welcome. But beyond that, there's a very important date coming up on July 29th. Yes. It is the 40th anniversary of Kroll. Yes, July 29th. This year is the date and day of the 40th anniversary of when Kroll was released in the United States in 1983. Yes. And because of that, we're using that as a perfect excuse to watch Kroll with a bunch of our crawler friends who wish to come and join us. And those individuals, all we ask is that you make a minimum donation to Primary Children's Hospital. We have ways to make that happen. We have a donation page up. And uh, our goal our goal is to reach at least $1,000 for the miracle workers over at yes. Primary Children's. We will have a special interview from one of the cast members from Kroll. They, uh, they've yes. already agreed to it. They are getting it all put together. We will have that available and ready for everyone at the show. And, uh, and then we will screen the movie together at Jordan Commons in Sandy on July 29th. The show will start. Uh, oh, doors open at 9.30 a.m. Mm-hmm. The show will, uh, will get underway with some like discussion and some cool things at 10. And the movie starts at 10.30. Yeah. And uh, we'll be having a, that posted on our Facebook and social media pages. So you'll have the QR code you can scan. That'll take you to the donation page, and you can make that donation. Absolutely. So. And it's so cool because, like, we're officially licensed to do this. We're going to a legitimate movie theater. Yes. Like, this is kind of a big deal. It is kind of a big deal. And also, this this I don't know, Daniel, you'll have to correct me on this, but this might be the most charitable year in DCR history. It is. I mean, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes, it is, and we've definitely been able to help with you know with this event, uh, with the event coming up with the Crultimate uh, charity event, and you know hopefully there'll be more stuff that we'll be doing because uh, we definitely want to be more involved in the community, uh, not only our local one but the you know, community at large. So yeah, uh, you know, and thank you guys. If you guys want to contribute, you can still contribute to the Safe House Foundation, um, and even if you can't make it to the Crultimate experience and you're or maybe you're not a fan of the movie crawl which i know is blasphemy according to krebs <laughs> but i will be still, the surrogate watcher for you you can still contribute uh <laughs> funds and and money towards these organizations to help them out yeah so definitely come out and support thank you guys so much um and if you want to support us in any other way always check out our patreon always listen like share etc but gentlemen 
Yes. We need to talk about something Star Wars related. Yes. Oh, do we ever. And uh, there was a little game that came out a few years ago. And as we all know, Mm -hmm. people, but especially Star Wars fans, hate single player role-playing narrative video games. I don't know who those people are. (laughs) So, um, So naturally, they took this risk on this thing called... A Jedi Fallen Order, which, yes. as it turned out, everybody was kind of into that. Yeah. And uh, so now there's a sequel that's come out, Jedi Survivor, and we're going to do our best not to be, like, super spoilery or things like that. If something slips through, we're really sorry. But uh, it's been out for a little while now. I wanted to make sure to capture your guys' thoughts on this. So first and foremost, since Krebs is the video game expert, we'll go to him second. Dan, did this game capture you right away? Uh, I finished the game already. (laughs) (laughs) I may have just played it quite a bit. Uh, No, I love the game. It it was fantastic. Honestly, it was was great. I enjoyed the predecessor. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a little hard for me to transition because, you know, uh, the individual that they did all the screen capturing for that plays Cal Kestis, uh, I never saw him before except for on this this wonderful show called Shameless. Mm -hmm, (laughs) Um, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I want that, to say his name is Cameron Monaghan. It is like Cameron Monaghan. Yeah. yeah, but um, that is definitely not a family-friendly movie. That is not family-friendly. Um, so it was a really shock to see him in this role, but he did a fantastic role, and I love the character. I love the story that they have done in both the previous edition and this one. Mm-hmm. So um, before we transition over to Krebs, like, what do you think is the strongest thing that transferred? from Fallen Order into Survivor, and what's the biggest change that you're glad I made? like the, the fact that you have different uh, stances. Mm-hmm. Uh, the stances and the perk system, I, th- I thought, was brilliant to add in. Um, and I really like the fact that it wasn't just all single lightsaber. Um, yeah. You had different types of, of fighting formats. And the one thing that I really enjoyed that also came over was it didn't feel clunky as far as the story. It because you know, we go to places that we see, see in the movie Rogue One, mm-hmm. and there wasn't a lot of information on that, that planet, but then they give you more, and then you start going, like, wait a minute, how is that possible? Because I know what happens in Rogue One, but then they explain that very well, yeah. what happens there. So I, I like that, that they made this part of canon that still translates well, and you're not like, okay, wait a minute, how does that fit into things? Because that shouldn't. And at the same time, I never felt like they were trying to like hit me over the head with like, hey, hey, you remember? Hey, you remember that? Yeah, thing? no. We, it, yeah. it was just like, no, this is naturally what needs to happen. Yeah, it was natural storytelling. Yeah. You know, you don't have to cram something in front of someone and say, hey, look, this is Star Wars. Or, hey, look, that's so-and-so. They did it very, it was just like in, in dialogue. Like, yeah. you never saw Saw Gerrera, mm-hmm. you know, and we know that he was on said planet. Um but his name came up a couple times, yeah. just in conversation. So you're like, oh, wait a minute, okay. I yeah. know that guy. Oh, that's the planet. Okay, this works. Mm-hmm. And, a, and a minor interjection, the dialogue in this in this video game, I almost said film because in some places it really oh, was yeah. like that natural. <laughs> there is one line of dialogue that I am, it's a minor line, but I am so obsessed with. Okay. Because for some reason it just like, it... <sighs> I have struggled to write good dialogue mm-hmm. in the past, and this was so natural. There's like this handoff moment between two of the main characters, and 
they're following up on one of their friends who you've mm-hmm. already seen earlier in the yeah. story, and they're asking, "Oh, you know what's going on?" And so and so goes, "Oh yeah, he started this uh, this cantina, Pailoon's Saloon." He goes, "She goes, wait, like after his grandmother." And he's like, yeah, you know how important family is to him, right? And never once in the story up until wow. that point was it like, it's his grandmother's saloon and, you know, this whole thing. And you yeah. got to have this heart-wrenching backstory. It was just like two friends catching up. Yeah. And all of a sudden, not only was it establishing their relationship and a natural flow for what had happened after a cutscene. Yeah. Yeah. But... It's also reestablishing the ties between friends, building a little bit of lore. It's establishing emotional reasons why you should love them and their friends. Oh, yeah. Phenomenal. So this is where now I've got to turn those same three questions over to you, Krebs. Now, more specifically, I'm interested because you have spent so much time in the world of video games. Mm. Like, we've touched on some of the story elements. We've touched on some of the dialogue elements. But I really want to know, like, as a video game, did this one capture you right away? So... What I loved about it in terms of design was that they did an exceptional job of taking what worked in the first title, Jedi Fallen Order, mm-hmm. and trying to shed the things that were extraneous, wasteful, or just didn't work. Mm-hmm. I thought they did an exceptional job at that. When I played this game, my, I, I spent like two or three hours on it the very first night, and what I found myself thinking afterward was what I, I, this game feels like I'm playing the first game, but also feels like I'm playing something new. Mm-hmm. I was not overwhelmed with a preponderance of new mechanics. They do a great job, like you were saying, Daniel, yeah. with the stances, which is brand new to this game. Uh, they do a great job of easing you into that transition. Mm-hmm. I thought that they made the world uh, more expansive. Like, you can feel the breadth of this world is far... Uh, of this game's world is far more enormous than the first game. So, I want to interject real quick. So, I am not a huge fan of heights. Mm-hmm. This game triggers my fear of heights. Mm. In the very, very first level. Well, I mean, even the first level, but there are multiple times on several of these planets where my character is walking on the edge of a cliff, and I know it's a video game, but it's you know that, that kind it's of... visceral. That, that feel that you get when you walk up to an edge in real life, that kind of that gut-wrenching anxiety that suddenly mm. hits you. There were multiple times in this game that hit me. So they did an amazing job that they pulled you so far into the game that it felt real. And it's been rendered out so beautifully. It has. Like, man, it's an artistic pleasure. Now, I do want to throw in some constructive criticism here as well. Mm -hmm. As much as I am enjoying the game and I do give it big thumbs up, um, one thing that I noticed right away is that if you do not have a variable refresh rate monitor display of some mm-hmm. kind mm-hmm. then as you're wheeling the camera around you will notice some what's called frame tearing you'll have some tearing toward the top of the screen which basically means uh most of the screen is seeing the same thing but at the very very top it's lagging behind a little bit mm-hmm. and so you'll see a tear in your visual representation uh that was a little bit surprising to me especially because i'm playing this on ps5 which is a pretty advanced piece yeah. of technology mm-hmm. uh, but i was getting a lot of visual tearing and especially like in the first uh, level, where, which takes place on Coruscant. Yeah. Uh, and, and part of that is because, like you said, Alton, they've rendered this in such incredible detail. It's not just a sort of like uh, pre-rendered background. Mm-hmm. They actually have literally hundreds, hundreds of independent AI-controlled elements that oh, are yeah. zipping around, that are using uh, lighting effects, you know, specular lighting and things like that. Uh, the, the materials, the meshes, the deformations of, of environment, all of that is hugely graphically intensive. And so 
uh, the tearing that's occurring is because they have to drop out of the 60 rate, you know, 60 frame rate, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 60 frames per second rate, if I could just say that right. Um, and so it, it fluctuates between about 40 frames per second to 60 frames per second, even though I have it set to performance mode, which is going to prioritize frame rate over graphical quality. Mm-hmm. That said, even with that setting, the graphics are gorgeous. It's mm-hmm. smooth and beautiful. There is some frame tearing because I do not have a VRR monitor, yeah. but I do have a 65-inch like 4K television, and it looks gorgeous yes. on that one. So, yeah. so it does have some technical hiccups in it. Unfortunately, mine crashed a couple times on the PS5. There's yeah. a couple places. Yeah. And the, the uh, target locking, I don't like pushing, when you push down on the R3, uh, the R3 where that engages that, because there's sometimes when I'm, I'm like, Moving, yeah. The 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 camera and it engages that. Lock. I've noticed on the PS5 I, yeah. that the stick clicks are more sensitive than yeah. on PS4. So I wish there was a different button they used for that. So it's really interesting that you guys are mentioning this because I'm playing on Xbox. Okay. Um, and have had no problems. Nice. Whatsoever. Nice. Um, the graphical fidelity is insane. I haven't had any major problems with lag or. Uh, lag which model Xbox working. are you on? Is it X? Yeah, I'm on an X. Series X. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm playing on a huge TV, too. Yeah, you are. Uh, it's yeah. been so, so, so much fun. So I wonder if this was something that, that, that they like built and optimized on Xbox specifically and then tried yeah, to I wonder. port it across. I will say on a nerd level that the PS5 and the Xbox Series X, Series X are both running x86 architecture, mm. um, but they do have different hardware components. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if um, the, the sort of like... Um, proprietary uh, synergy between the Radeon, comp- the Radeon components that I think are in, I think it's Radeon that's inside of PS5, and then it's, uh, uh, oh my gosh, NVIDIA that's in yeah. Xbox. Yeah. Uh, whatever they've done for the proprietary relationship there normally works really, really great, but you're probably right. They may have built this out for Xbox first and mm-hmm. then converted it in, in its essence to PS5. But the good news is um, PS5 does not use a proprietary language the way that PS3 did, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So doing that porting is far simpler. The difference is they do have proprietary uh, assembly behind the scenes to manage the throughput uh, between um, the solid-state storage and the graphics and the, and the memory. So interesting that we have that like different technical experience. Yeah. Now, one thing that I will say that they absolutely fixed from the first one is they... They didn't completely eliminate it, because I know there are some people who absolutely love it, (laughs) but they did fine-tune it, and they eliminated the overwhelming use of that stupid slide mechanic. Oh, yeah. Like, I hated that so much. The rest of the game having no problems, and then all of a sudden it's like, and now we're going to force you to go down the slippery slope for 45 seconds, and there's jumps in the middle, and there's nothing you can do, and if you go into the abyss, you're just going to have to start over. Star Wars Temple Run. There's the worst. um, So there are some, like... uh, Force fractions that you mm-hmm. go into that have that in there. Mm-hmm. I hate it. I hate that. You, and because not only that, you're you're doing this slipping, the jumping, and then they add shields that you're having to oh. like jump back and forth. Mm-hmm. A yeah. couple of them from. But, but that's optional. Th- those are optional. It's yeah. not part of the story. Uh, the parts in the story where you have to do that is not as difficult as it was in the first one. Yeah. Um, and especially when you're having like major story sequences oh, yeah. and that they threw that into the middle and then you sat there for 30 minutes just trying to yeah. like slide down the hill. 
they've added a lot more kind of parkour elements in yes. this one for those types of escapes, which I do enjoy. And again, because of all the graphical rendering that's going on, yeah. like there's some cool pyrotechnics and stuff that happens that's a lot of fun to be a part of. Yeah, uh, there is a sequence in towards the end of the game where you're running through a chamber with this gigantic laser and you have to duck off to the sides because it's just a long tunnel. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking... A Jedi, I'll just sand off to the side, you know, because it doesn't look like it's completely hitting. No, it obliterates you. Mm-hmm. That you sounds right. You have to duck off to the side. Um, it's very reminiscent of the Death Star laser chamber. It, the moment yeah. you described it, I thought yeah. it was the Death Star yeah. laser chamber. It, it was so re- cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you're, you're bouncing around in this thing. So there, there's a lot of really cool things and elements. Not only that, there's these weird balloon things that you can force put up into the sky, and then you have to grapple onto them to, to yeah. launch oh, yourself. I was wondering about those. Uh, Spider so, Jedi. Yeah, so it is <laughs> It is very Spider-Man. Spider-Cal. Spider-Cal. Um, but it is really cool, these extra elements in there. Not only that, the other cool thing is, you know, if you go to Pylune's saloon, mm-hmm. you can find people to come and they add a different elements to it and they have different parts of their conversation and you learn more about them not only your own team but these mm. other people that are there and they open up other missions and other side jobs yeah. that you can pick up which is so much fun and it doesn't feel forced and it doesn't feel no. required but it also feels satisfactory there are a lot of times in other RPGs where they just kind of shoehorn in random NPC where mm-hmm. it's like yeah. now come and listen to my tale yes um, there is one kind of exception. I do think that Scuba Stev is sometimes oh a gosh. little long-winded. Oh but okay, but his name is a hilarious I love Easter Scuba Stev. I, I have every fish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I've listened to every story to the point like, I have nothing more to tell you. <laughs> and I'm like, really? Like, no! You've been more. so long-winded, now you have nothing more to tell me? What the heck? Scuba Stev yes. is amazing. I love him. Um, again, these are just characters that are really not a main part of the story, but it's so fascinating yeah. to talk to them and to learn more. Uh, the bounty hunter gal. I swear her voice is this is it's the same voice actress that does Omega. It sounds so much hmm. like Omega from, from Bad Batch. From Bad Batch. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I'd have to look into it. I'm not entirely sure. But that does bring up some other questions. All right. So, um, and this is where we may have to dance around some spoilers mm-hmm. a little bit. So Especially for me, to. because mm-hmm. I still have not finished the game. I bought the game first, and I still haven't finished the game. <laughs> Which is really funny. It is. It, it's funny for you. Because mm. <laughs> I was watching your videos. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you were. That's yeah, true. So let's talk about, like, force powers and new yeah. things that have been added into the world. Because there's some cool stuff here. Like, I'm not going to lie, playing this game, for me, unlocked a couple of things mechanically, and I'm actually building out a Star Wars RPG skin. Oh. I'm super excited. Now, for legal reasons, of course, it's not a Star Wars RPG skin. Right. But, uh, because, like, in the past, one of the big problems that I've had with other RPGs is that they're often not Jedi-centric. Oh, yeah. They're just trying to put you into Star Wars, and so they build out, like, all the bounty hunters and all mm-hmm. the rebel pilots yeah. and things like that first, and then they're like, oh, shoot, now we have these super beings that we have to shoehorn in somehow, and it just mm-hmm. doesn't quite work. But this, for me, felt like it did a good job of being a power fantasy and unlocking a lot of cool things about the Force without going all the way to, like, Force Unleashed, I'm pulling stuff out of the sky. Yeah, going, yeah. You know, not so bonkers to the point that you write yourself into a corner. Yes. Right? So right. what are some of the things that you have enjoyed most seeing expressed mechanically in this game? Okay, before I go to the mechanics, mm-hmm. I really love the fact you know, I, I, that I can fight a Wampa. 
Yeah. Oh heck yeah. A, a brown wampa, <laughs> and it, you know, if you're not careful, it will kick your butt. But not only that, falling into a cave and suddenly seeing a rancor come out of the darkness. Yeah. Oh yeah. Pure dread just went through me. And, I, you know, I was hitting it with my lightsaber thinking, all right, I'm doing pretty good here. And then it scoops me up, and I'm like, okay, it's going to be a game. It's going to hit me. I'm going to lose some hit points. No, I died. Yeah. The second it crunched down, I was instant dead. I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah. There are some, That's how it should be. There are some things in this yeah. game that are purposefully unforgiving. Yeah. That yeah. force you to learn how to dodge, how to roll, how to use and your force And a rancor taking a bite out of you should kill you. Yeah, 100%. Yes, yeah. so, yeah, so I, I love that. Uh, Mechanics-wise, I definitely loved the where you know I didn't have a lot of force powers, and as I mm. gained them, I become I became stronger. Uh, I love the fact that I could make other stormtroopers or other uh, bandits I attack love that the other ones. Mm-hmm. You know that was great. Um, yeah, you know, and I loved instead of just force pulling one, you know I could get other abilities where I could force pull multiple. It got to a point where I could even do the larger monsters. Yeah, uh, not the Rancor. But everything else, um, you know. I want and, to tame one, you know. And then I got the ability to start blasting through doors, yeah. you know. But those were all things I had to earn. I had to build up my character in such a way. Not only that, you had to put points into your uh, lightsaber stances yeah. so that you were pretty good in those. And you know, I definitely am not a double-bladed lightsaber fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, nor am I the uh, the the blaster saber. Mm-hmm. But man, tu- dual wielding mm-hmm. or single. Amazing. I love that. And along the same lines, like, it never felt like I was underpowered at the beginning of the game. No. But it always just felt like, oh, and now I can do something just a little bit cooler or just a little bit better. And similarly, part of what you're describing of, like, at the beginning, okay, I can force pull one person. But not anything larger than a certain degree. Not anything higher than a certain level kind of a thing. And then slowly unlocking more and more and more powers felt really good. And it wasn't the same thing as, like, in Hogwarts Legacy, you have technically three levels of the Alohomora spell, but there is literal zero mechanical difference. It's yeah. just what doors can I unlock. Yes. Right? Yeah. And But in this, it really felt like, okay, I'm training, I'm growing, I'm becoming more in tune. Like, mm-hmm. it was really, really cool. Well. And to your point, Daniel, about like you know, you're not a double-bladed fan, you're not a Blaster Saber fan, I haven't unlocked Blaster Saber yet. And I haven't unlocked the two-handed broadsword stance yet. Oh, I forgot Ooh. about that one. That's one I'd, I'd never touched. Um, but it what I like is Kylo that Ren. well, they came up with um, they came up with five different stances mm-hmm. that reflect player preference oh, yeah. really well. They're they're distinct enough. You have. Uh, not not just in terms of animation or or just feel of play, but also in terms of like power mechanics mm-hmm. and things of that nature. And they gave each one their respectful due, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, strengths and weaknesses. Strengths and weaknesses. I actually happen to love the double bladed lightsaber for when I'm going up against blaster based opponents, mm-hmm. and also with like the larger creatures. I found that being able to like overwhelm them with a number of attacks and and things of that nature. Uh, the power output of the double bladed saber was surprisingly pleasant um i also like the dual wield but of course it's faster but less damage and things of that nature i'm looking forward to unlocking the kylo ren stance because i i do love dishing out tasty damage in a big hit. that one definitely does a lot of damage yeah you know it's it's a heavy hitter but there's like like finesse involved with it too yeah and you get you cannot spam yeah you can't spam you have to you have to time it you have to be patient yeah Yeah. it it is literally like going into battle with a claymore 
the, yeah. the yeah. stance and the way it swings is, you know, but for me, it just, it, I didn't like that. To me, but to me, it looks like people who are playing Dark Souls or yeah. Elden Ring, where yeah. like that is the style of play and it isn't just button mashing. It's about timing and it's mm-hmm. about that very close attention to detail. Yeah. yeah. And, and I also like, you know, in the first game, you have a unified map for all your force powers as you're sinking in points. Mm-hmm. And so you can kind of see at a uh, at a pseudo at a glance all the different paths that you can go mm-hmm. to and all that stuff. But also I found in the first game that I maxed out that map a significant chunk before the game was over. So at that point my growth as as a player character halted. Mm-hmm. This one so far this game first of all feels multiplicatively larger, yeah. like just huge. Uh but so far I've I, I've, I'm going to Jeddah now, mm-hmm. and um, and I'm actually hoarding my force points a little bit because I have that feeling in my gut that I'm going to unlock something new, and I'm going to want to put points into that thing. So I haven't been putting, I have not been putting points into what I already have, which is an economic decision. But the point is, like, there are so many things that you can put points into. Sometimes you have to make critical tactical decisions about when to spend points, when to hold them, when to fold them kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And similarly, like I'm one of those guys who loves to make sure that I've unlocked all of the major powers and leveled everything up as much as I can before going to the final boss. There's something cathartic to me about just going in purposefully overpowered. But at the same time within this game, even though it's, it's taking me a while to be able to fill everything out it also doesn't feel super grindy because no. again, there's like so many other side characters yes. and rumors and things to follow up on. And there's the force tears that are explicitly just jungle gyms to train you how to use all these different mm-hmm. abilities or really fight, well. Or fight battles. Yeah. Which actually yeah. I like those too. Like I really enjoy those. And so many random like mini bosses. So what are some of the story beats that you were really glad to see continued? And you don't necessarily need to describe what happens, but just be like, I'm really glad they followed up on blank. So, for example, uh, towards the, the very end of, um, of the previous game, uh, Seer is mm-hmm. starting to intimate that, like, she's really ready to pursue a different path. Yeah. And being able to see her come back and still be part of the story but grow in a different direction, mm-hmm. I thought was really, really nice. Um, what's maybe something that stood out to you guys? Uh, I'm going to go first because I, I know the fewest beats, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually really impressed at how much character development happened during dead time between the two games. Mm-hmm. Like, both games, the you, you end the first game and you have a certain status quo established in your mind about each character. You start the second game... And it feels like you have fallen halfway to the darkest timeline, and you're not sure why yet. Mm -hmm. But the way they handled it in terms of exposition, in terms of dialogue, in terms of world storytelling and things like that, um, I felt caught up relatively quickly. Even if if I didn't know everything, I understood rapidly uh, where their relationships were at. And And then they did the right thing, and they gave each relationship so far its own time, Mm-hmm. to evolve and and to explore that i i love the reuni uh, the reunification with uh greece mm-hmm. um i love that we have a couple new friends and it feels like they're old friends yeah and uh i'm i'm looking forward to when i reunite with seer because that's coming up soon i also loved the seamless integration of like the ancient jedi and the old republic 
Yeah. I thought that was handled extremely well. And even though there's there's a particular scene, there's a there's a major boss fight on Kobo before you go to Jeddah. And uh, it introduces a brand new character. And I'll admit, in that moment, like I, I felt like it was kind of predictable which way it was going. But the way they told the story, the way that the actors handled the scene, I thought it was told extremely well. And I, I was in. I and, loved it. And just you wait. Like, there's good stuff ahead. I'm excited. Daniel? So, no, no, no. I'll make Dan go last. Again, he knows <laughs> it's the very boss. exciting to see you know, that character the, that shows up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you Very can, cool new character. You, the way that the dialogue went to, I mean, you could just tell that the tension was building, and then you see him grab a crystal, and then you're like, "Yes, that process." Oh yeah. crap! If you understand yeah. the canon behind that process, yeah. oh, that was yeah. brilliant. Yeah, it was beautiful, and that's the first time and, I've ever seen it. And very, and building off of one of the points that you made, Josh. I very, very much appreciate that they actually did allow time to pass between the games. Oh, yes. I think that is one of the most critical mistakes that you can make in storytelling is just trying to immediately abut two stories together. Yeah. Like, there are certain situations in which it can work, but especially in the context of video or film or video games where, like, there is years of gap in your audience between the last time they played and now, it's appropriate to reflect that. Not everything has to have that streaming mentality of just jumping into the next thing. I'm a huge fan in video games of environmental storytelling, using the elements of your environment to to perform expositive statements mm-hmm. without dialogue. The, the condition of the mantis, both internally and externally, mm-hmm. while not overwhelmingly different, if you played the first game and then you go play the second game, you're like, oh my gosh, what have you been through? Yeah. You know, it's that sort of thing. Um, and, and it was all believable aging that took place. It wasn't campy. It wasn't clownish. The, the, the things that they did to the mantis to show age and lack of care, mm-hmm. that I thought was done exceptionally well and organically. Yeah. Dan? No, I, I like how they organically brought in the High Republic mm-hmm. because really that's Disney's creation yeah. um, with the books and that they put out. And this is kind of our first entrance into that. Mm-hmm. And I like how they meshed it. They did a very good job with it. Uh, so this was kind of mixing old Star Wars with their new stuff that wasn't 7, 8, and 9. Um, I like th- what they've done with that. And it really shows they can do some good storytelling. And I really wish they would have done that do- instead of doing 7, 8, and 9. Mm-hmm. Um, because we got some really good backstory and some introduction to what it was like back then. Yeah. And they did it in a very seamless way. I do like the fact that even though there was a time jump between the two games, that life still happened. Yeah. You know, the galaxy still went darker. Uh, they still went their own ways. They had their individual stories. We reconnected with those characters again. And not only that, Cal was a, definitely a different person than when we originally met him. Yeah. And you could tell that just by his dialogue, the way he was interacting with people. You could see, you know, on these different planets that you go to that things have been tough. It, it hasn't been easy, which is what really happened. Yeah. So I liked how they did that. So here's my final question for everybody. Mm. Um, and I understand that this could be a very controversial topic. I know that some of you may feel very, very strongly about this. <sighs> Why did they let Cal have a goatee? And, and let's <laughs> let's talk about some of the aesthetic things that you can unlock. Goatee. Here, right? 
Like, what about? Have you seen the the, the weird? Have you seen yeah. the mullet with the handlebar? Yeah, 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 yeah. There's yeah. there's a TikTok on there, and he's got he's got a he's got a Texan accent, and he's all like, "Oh, Cal Kisses, we're out there in the in the depths of Kobo, killing us some battle droids." I'm like, "Yeah, that's exactly Brilliant. what I feel like." So yeah, so this is where like I want to ask some questions here, because or maybe just a singular question, because like, how did you guys feel about having these random aesthetic unlocks throughout the course of the story? So, I love the clothing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The clothing is great, especially the Outrider outfit. Mm-hmm. Oh, One yeah. of my favorites. I love the different colorings and uh, parts that you could do for BB-8. Mm-hmm. Yes, as well as the saber. And they got really creative yeah. with all and, of that, but. I could have done without the haircuts yeah. and the facial hair. Yeah. Um, I would much rather, this is my personal opinion, I would much rather that for those types of things, they just unlocked it and you could just choose it yeah. instead of tr- finding it in this random place. Though it did spark a very interesting thing of like, is it canon that like you have to load a program into a droid in order to get a particular hairstyle, and that's why there's always so many samey things because that's just the protocol everyone can afford. Yeah. Well, and the other thing that, like, okay, this is a galaxy far, far away. Really, are they gonna have uh, a mullet and handlebar mustache? I mean, we've never seen that before. Uh, life finds a way. I, I guess so. Where's uh, my mohawk? Yeah. Th- right. I, there was not a single mohawk. I'm a little surprised. I would have expected that. Mm-hmm. Always, always, right? Yeah. Um, for me, I, I, I've been thinking about this since we started talking. So in the very first game, the only real aesthetic choices you had that, that showed sort of like growth and reward for exploration were ponchos. Mm-hmm. And the ponchos were horrible. Uh, were horrible. They were horrible. There were a few mm-hmm. like full-on outfits that were very interesting. Actually, this, was, this may be what they learned from the first game. The outfits that you found that were non-poncho related, mm-hmm. those were the ones that players liked most. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so in this game... There are no ponchos, which uh, Cameron Monaghan in public has made many jokes about. You can unlock ponchos. Yes, you, you can. can. Oh, you can. okay. I'm sorry. I I'm have just so early outfit. in the game. I don't have ponchos but yet. you get one, but you can change its colors. It has palettes. Yes. But see, this was the wisdom of what they learned from the first game. Uh, my, my gripe in the first game was that you have these ponchos, which aren't particularly attractive, and they have no game impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas in The Force Unleashed, when you found certain things, either outfits or, or lightsaber crystals, it actually had game mechanics behind it yeah. that would alter how you played. Uh, this one, they still don't all alter game mechanics, which I think might be an opportunity missed, but the... The Star Wars style that they capture with the aesthetics gives players the opportunity to design Cal out to be what they want. And there are some players, like you were saying, that TikToker, yeah. who think it's hilarious to make Kyle Castus, you know, and, and uh, to make him sort of, you know, just an outer, spa- outer space cowboy. I actually think what they did with the aesthetics and the unlocks feels far more rewarding than it did in the first game. Yeah. It looks immensely better. And even BD1 looks more unique now. Oh, yeah. I definitely appreciate a lot of the aesthetic unlocks. Here are, my, here are my three things. Three things. The first is, especially for like random facial hair stuff, having me go out into the middle of nowhere and do insane little side questy corner mm-hmm. things. I just don't like that. Maybe I'm lazy, but like I don't, com- I don't feel that way about the clothes. I don't feel that way about all the lightsaber parts. Like those feel like they make more sense to me. When I unlock a hairstyle, it kind of takes me out of it. They should have kept yeah. that to like the shop. Yeah. Um, the other two things. One, I do very much agree with you. I wish that lightsaber parts did 
very minor things Mm -hmm. to be able to change your stats. I don't think that you equip a new emitter and all of a sudden you wildly swing, but being able to do some minor fine-tuning to create a slightly different experience for each player, you know, that could be a very interesting thing to see. But here's the third. I am going to partially contradict myself. Okay. What I would have liked to see is aesthetic unlocks that are tied to the planets and locales. Yeah. So that when I show up to a place and I show up into the main area and I see somebody with this particular thing, I go, oh, that looks really cool. Being able to unlock those things on a planet-by-planet basis feels like a natural win to me Mm -hmm. that doesn't take me out of the story, but still gives me a reason to continue to explore that world. So randomly scattering them everywhere and making me do all kinds of crazy things for things that have no real attachment to what's going on bothers me a lot, Mm -hmm. which I'm never the guy who argues for immersion, but in this case, it bothered me. (laughs) <laughs> but, you know, being able to have those kinds of secondary things that are not necessary to the story, but that tie into it feels like maybe in the third one you throw us a bone. Yeah. Maybe I mean, so. I definitely liked how they, they did give some extra stuff for BB-8. You know, in the first game BD we one. had... Uh, huh? BD-1. BB, BD-1. I'm sorry. I'm thinking of the wrong one. <laughs> Just smack me. Uh, um, you cannot get a BB-8. Uh, no, Go I on. can't. Anyways, um, I like how... You know, because in the first one you're, you're, he's able to splice some of the, the droids. Mm-hmm. This one, you know, he gets uh, abilities if you find them to splice any droid he comes in contact to. And then you get map upgrades mm-hmm. where you can see different things, which I think is fantastic for that because he has his hollow m- map, which makes sense for those things. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the upgrades you get for him are perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I do agree with you because, you know, in like even in uh, KOTOR, when you get certain modifiers for the lightsabers, it does add damage or other things. Mm-hmm. We should have those. Yeah, uh, we definitely should. I would much rather have those than you know, different paint styles for my my saber, or even handles. I mean, mm. the handles were cool, but it really didn't change anything. It was yeah. my abilities that changed those things. So even though I think I already know the answer to all this, we're just going to do a quick temperature check. Should somebody buy Jedi Survivor, Krebs? I think that if you played Fallen Order, and you were anywhere between, I like it and I love it then this is a must-buy. Mm-hmm. Dan? Uh, I would say it's a must-buy, even if you haven't played the first one. It, it, it works really well as a standalone. You could pick this up and play it, and it would be okay. The primer mm. at the start of the game is one of the best primers I've ever yeah. seen. I mean, it True. tells you enough that you need to know that you don't need that first game. But if you want the whole complete story, you definitely would need to pick up that first one. But I, you know, as a Star Wars fan, as game... This was really good gameplay. You can adjust the level. So even if it's a younger kid that just loves Star Wars but can't really get through a really chunky, heavy game, you can set it to story mode. They can have fun Mm -hmm. or to Padawan or Jedi Knight. I mean, you can put it all the way up to Master if you want a really good challenge. And not only that, if you've defeated the game, you can go back through with the the plus version. New game plus. Which actually allows you to have a red lightsaber. I'm just saying. Um, There's two new lightsaber colors. I'll just tell you the red. You can figure out the other one. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is is a fun game that anyone can pick up and play and and run with. So I I say it's a a must-buy if if you are a Star Wars fan. If you're teetering on there, it's a really good game. Yeah. I I very much agree with your gentleman's analysis on it. Um, If you're just there for the story... Pick it up anyway. Play it oh, yeah. in story mode. Have a good time. Feel like a super overpowered Jedi for a while. Oh, yeah. If you like Souls-like games, 
This is a great, like, intermediate Souls-like game. Yes. You're never overly punished, but there's still a degree of challenge, and because of the difficulty sliders and the numerous different stances and things like that, there are ways that you can self-adjust mm-hmm. your play experience to do well. And if you happen to like the whole enchilada, I feel like this game actually provides a lot of value for what it is. Mm-hmm. So with that, I think we're out, but thank you guys. So, folks, pick a copy up. Enjoy a new Star Wars story that gives you a little bit of you know the old Star Wars, a little bit of the, the, the High Republic, and we'll catch you next time. Yeah, and dungeon crawlers, tell your story, whatever may come. And whether you are a lowly Padawan or a Jedi Master, always remember to be epic and don't suck. Remember, the Force will be with you always. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like this episode, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find us.